According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Proverbs 23 once again. And join me there, Proverbs 23. We're still in the midst of the words of the wise. There's 30 of them plus six more at the end of chapter 24. You'll notice when we get to that point, I'm not sure how, if we'll get that far before the end of the year, probably not, but um, we will get to a, a certain point. I don't know, I would really like to get to the end of 24, but I'm skeptical. <laughs> oh, me of little faith. We'll see what the Lord has for us. But we have, I think, about 13 more Wednesdays to go, including today, uh, before, uh, before we run out of time. And then we have our through the Bible year next year. Remember, there's no Wednesday morning schedule in 2022. So uh, December the 29th of this year will be our last Proverbs class until 2023. Just uh, stay tuned for that. All right. God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. In preparation for the study of the Word of God, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father in His faithfulness to bless our time in truth. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your faithfulness, rejoicing in this day and the blessing and privilege we have to assemble together. We call upon your faithfulness once again for the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts. Might we receive the word implanted that's able to save our souls. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Proverbs 23. Uh, last week we looked at verses 1, 2, and 3. <clears throat> when you sit down to dine with a ruler... Consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat. If you are a man of great appetite, do not desire his delicacies for it is a deceptive food. And I think we've got through the, uh, the details on this. Let me just run through the slideshow again to remind us all of <clears throat> what we were looking at last week. This is words of the wise number six. Remember it carries over from the previous chapter. Words of the wise number six, the danger of delicacies for dinner. <laughs> the danger of delicacies for dinner. And it says, do not desire his delicacies. And remember, you are a guest. And you are a guest at the table of a powerful man. Maybe a king. Maybe a, a ruler of whatever sort. Uh, but you are uh, at a table with someone more important than you, <clears throat> richer than you, uh, someone that can uh, cause you a lot of trouble if you cause them a lot of trouble. And... Uh, when it says consider carefully what is before you, I would add to that, if I, I'm not free to add to Scripture, but as a concept, I would add to that, uh, consider why you're there, okay? Who invited you and why? What is the occasion for your being there? <clears throat> and then consider carefully what is before you. And this is how serious it is. Put a knife to your throat. <laughs> All right. Eating at the king's table is a great honor, so consider carefully. If this, is, uh, if this is an occasion that God places before you, well then praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. He's placed you in a spot like this. Enjoy it. But uh, at the same time, be careful and consider carefully. Consider that this is uh, an experience that might uh, derail your perspective, might derail your, your um, 
considerations. It might cause you to start coveting what you don't have. It opens your eyes to a lifestyle you're not typically exposed to and you're like, wow, this is how the, the other half lives. Huh? They've, they've got it pretty good. And you may start to uh, then grow um, discontent or, or, or unhappy about what God has blessed you with. So consider carefully. And we walked through the examples. Remember Genesis 43 was uh, Joseph's brothers that were dining with Joseph and they didn't know it was Joseph. But uh, all they thought was that they were dining with a very important and very powerful Egyptian official. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9 when David opened his table up to Mephibosheth and the great honor that that was because um, Mephibosheth certainly had no claim on it and had no expectations to be honored in such a way. Daniel chapter 1, of course, where Daniel and his friends uh, were dining at the king's table as, as it was Nebuchadnezzar's own uh, uh, pantry that was open to them, it was provided for them. They were fed the choice delicacies from Nebuchadnezzar's uh, throne room. And uh, of course that then became a problem because much of that was idolatry and, and Daniel and his friends didn't want to participate in the idolatry. Jeremiah 52, when uh, King Jehoiakim is brought out of his captivity and invited to sit at uh, the king's table for the rest of his life. And then the parables that Jesus teaches in Luke 14 and Luke 22 um, related to, I'm forgetting at the moment, Luke 14, 7. Yes, this is uh, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And then that becomes a problem. Because now you're sitting in a spot that you're not entitled to and somebody else is entitled to it and you're going to get bounced. In fact, you're going to get bounced so far down low you're starting to wonder why you even came to this thing to begin with. And uh, anyway, it's a great parable. I like teaching that chapter. Uh, Luke twenty-two twenty-eight through 30 where Jesus promises His disciples, you are those who have stood by Me in My trials and just as My Father has granted Me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at My table in My kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so this principle, this concept about eating at a king's table, it's true in Bios life and it's also true in Zoe life, it's true eschatologically when we're looking forward to the coming kingdom. Um, I tell you, I wouldn't rather be anything but the bride of Christ in the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the, uh, the, the pinnacle right there to be in Christ, the, the heir of all things. So we can appreciate that. Along with that though comes duties and comes conflict. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. (laughs) So if you're going to have this tremendous privilege and this tremendous honor to be the bride of Christ and to be the body of Christ and to have the the position that we have in the plan of God as the royal family, then uh, well, what comes with that is the intensified stage of the angelic conflict. So uh, make sure we have our armor on and make sure we're dealing with it appropriately. Finally in Revelation 3.20 you talk about an honor Jesus Christ is standing at the door and knocking and He wants to uh, come in and, and dine. And this is, uh, this is not a salvation passage, this is a fellowship passage. This is an occupation with Christ passage. The recognition that as we are abiding in the Word of God, as we are dwelling upon the Word, as the Word of Christ richly dwells within us, we have the privilege of personally fellowshipping with Jesus Christ Himself. As it says, if anyone hears my voice, are you in Bible class? Are you listening to the Lord? and opens the door. Are you willing to fellowship with Him on a, on, a, on a meditation basis as the Word of Christ richly dwells within you? Then I will come into Him and will dine with Him and He with me. Notice it's a conditional if-then statement. 
And I think very few believers fulfill this. I think very few believers have the doctrine to fulfill this, the capacity to fulfill this. And sadly, uh, I think the bulk of approaches to this is that this is, uh, this is a gospel thing. This is about you know, getting saved or whatever. That's pathetic. That's the, totally the wrong way to handle this text. So what a great honor. And it's an honor that we are invited to participate in all day, every day. That we should be dwelling with Christ, occupied with Christ, fellowshipping with Christ in the things of the Word of God. Put a knife to your throat indicates the deadly seriousness of this danger. Now, the Scripture is not advocating suicide. It's not telling you that, you know, that um, not instructing you to do this. It's not saying slit your own throat. But it is saying slit your own throat, that if, okay, this is how serious it is, put a knife to your throat, consider slitting your own throat if you're a man of great appetite because you are on the verge of making such a terrible mistake that you might wish you were dead after this dinner is over, that you might uh, either insult your host, you might um, say something uh, insulting, you might say something I mean, there can be tremendous consequences to this, and uh, you might wish you were dead after this episode is complete, because he invited you here for a reason. He's got a purpose for having you eat with him, and whatever it is he wants, if he doesn't get it, there's going to be some consequences there. And a man of great appetite, this is something else as well, I think I want to do more in future studies on appetites, because there's food appetites, there's alcohol appetites, there's sex appetites, there's there's uh, social appetites, there's, there's tons of appetites, and uh, uh, just, there's entertainment appetites and, and, and activities and whatever. Um, and the, uh, in their place, in the appropriate uh, place, as designed by God, they're marvelous things. Enjoy them, be satisfied with God's grace provision, and, and there you have it. But when you're not keeping it in God's design, when you're perverting it, then uh, through gluttony and drunkenness and sex addiction and all the other stuff, then um, that's where the problems come in. So the man of great appetite, the Baal, we had an expression in, in the previous chapter that was, uh, was one Baal combination. This is a different Baal combination um, that uh, speaks to these things. In any event, I'm forgetting at the moment what that term was. But a man of great appetite. Let me get back to Proverbs 23 and remind myself. If you are a man of great appetite. Oh yeah, Baal Nefesh. Baal Nefesh. Okay? Different him that we had in the previous chapter. The, uh, the Lord of the Nostril, I remember. That was the angry man. Where we're not to have fellowship with the angry man and not to foster friendship with the angry man. That was the Lord of the Nostril. The Baal Af. This is the Baal uh, Nefesh. The Lord of uh, the Appetite. All right, so it is a curious usage. It is used seven times, uh, nefesh, soul, related to appetite. The phrase Baal nefesh, I should have just read the slide. The phrase Baal nefesh is the man of great appetite. Okay? And then these are the passages there where nefesh refers to an appetite rather than a soul. But in a sense, it's kind of curious how the Hebrews envisioned the appetite, how the Hebrews envisioned the soul, and what does it mean to have a soul uh, what, what distinguishes humanity from other realms of creation, from plants and whatnot? Animals also have nefesh, and so whatever, uh, when we think about appetites, we can understand animals ha- also have appetites, that makes sense, because animals also have souls. 
And um, that is animal nefesh, not human souls, animal nefesh. All right, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to move to the next slide. (laughs) Be thankful for God's faithful provision and do not covet what God has not prepared for you. All right, do not desire his delicacies for it is a deceptive food. And you wonder, well, how can food be deceptive? Oh, let me tell you. (laughs) Okay, food can be deceptive. Alcohol can be deceptive. A lot of things can be deceptive uh, that you don't realize until too late. And then lo and behold, you've, you've bought into it. But be thankful for God's provision. And if, you're, if you find yourself coveting, if you find yourself desiring something that, that is not yours, and rather than enjoy, wow, here's a, here's a once in a blue moon opportunity. Here's a, I should be thankful that I was invited to this house. I'm dining with this Lord. I get to eat something I don't normally get to eat. And, and don't grumble over that not being normal. Celebrate that being unnormal. Celebrate that being special, being, being an extra treat and saying, thank you, Lord. I'll probably never eat that again. But I, I give you the praise. I give you the glory. I thank you for this occasion that uh, where I was allowed to eat that. And, you know, maybe in the, maybe in the millennial kingdom, that'll be part of the feasting I'll take place in, in the future. But that's just not me in the here and now. And, uh, and I'm content with what God has supplied. God's faithful provision. If we have food and covering, with these we should be content. And whatever the food is that I eat, is uh, it's keeping me alive, it's nutritious, it's sufficient. In fact, as a 21st century American Christian, we're the, we're the fattest well-fed people on the, on the face of human history, I think. And as far as the abundance of food, there's been nothing like it. And, um, and there it is. Alright, so Exodus 20, uh, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's dinner table, anything of your neighbor's. Psalm 34 verses 9 and 10, I love this, uh, about contentment. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for though to those who fear Him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Okay, And this is what it comes down to. Um, Psalm eighty four eleven. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. So if you're a, an accuser and you want to accuse God of withholding a good thing, then you're in defiance of this verse. Because this verse says no good thing does He withhold. And so ask yourself, uh, is it a good thing that I'm lusting after that I'm not entitled to? Or is it, uh, am I not walking uprightly? Do I have a problem with my walk? And God is withholding to uh, highlight the fact that I'm not walking uprightly. And so uh, that's the red flag to get me to confess and get back in fellowship. Psalm 104, verses 27 and 28, talking about the uh, animals that are waiting. And even Leviathan, doesn't matter how great the beast is, they all wait for you to give them their food in due season, to give to them. They gather it up. You open your hand and they are satisfied with good. Are we satisfied with what God's open hand is providing for us? Do we have the common sense God gave? You know, sometimes God uses the animals to say, you know, an ox knows his owner, but my people don't know me. And that's the, you know, when you don't have the common sense God gave a billy goat, that's, uh, that's a problem. And you've got to deal with it biblically. And then of course James 1.17 Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. 
Again, be thankful for God's faithful provision. Do not covet what God has not prepared for you or what God has not prepared you for. See how it goes both directions? If God hasn't provided it for you, then probably at the same time God hasn't prepared you for it in that respect. All right. Let's move on to words of the wise number seven. Words of the wise number seven warns of wearily wanting wealth and watching it wing away. Words of the wise. I might have gone overboard with some of my alliteration tendencies. Wearily wanting wealth and watching it fly away or wing away. I needed another W there. See, easy come, easy go, and money does that. Money comes and money goes, and, and God is faithful when He provides. Also, Satan is, uh, is, is very easy for Satan to throw money at you to, if that gets you out of the will of God. Economies rise and fall. Money comes and goes. And uh, if you find yourself wanting it, ask yourself, why do you want what you want? What are you wanting that for? And do you want it for what God designed it for or do you want it for what Satan uses it for? What do you want it for? What is your plan in being wealthy if this is your goal? So let's look at verses 4 and 5. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. And we're going to talk about this because this is well, let me just read through and then we'll go back and get the details. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. All right, there's our verses, verses 4 and 5. When we get to 6 and 7, we'll be dealing with the, word, the next words of the wise, number eight. So let's just handle verses four and five here with words of the wise, number seven. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Now obviously this is not the only passage in Proverbs that talks about work and we have work ethic from other passages of Scripture and uh, we have to balance this with everything else that has to say. These are principles and every principle in Proverbs is balanced with every other principle in Proverbs. But clearly there's a difference between working, earning income, producing, providing for your family, providing for your church family, that's normal, that's biblical, that's commanded. Versus wanting to be wealthy, wearying yourself to become a wealthy person. And and putting yourself in an early grave because you're a workaholic and you won't stop and all you're doing is working, 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 you're actually in defiance. It's like it's like gluttony or drunkenness or sex addiction. It's just the perversion of God's design taking it to uh, uh, a satanic extreme. That's what we're dealing with in this, in this aspect. So wearying yourself to gain wealth. Willingness to work is a good thing. Earnings should accumulate. But wanting to be wealthy is a snare. Wanting to be wealthy is a snare. And I think this is, uh, this is so vital that if I don't get past this slide today, I'll be happy. But nevertheless, <laughs> we got a lot more to cover if we're going to get through uh, chapter 23 and 24 and 13 Wednesdays. I don't think that's possible. Anyway, um, 
And I think we're clear on this. It's, it's, we've taught the concept before. Uh, how many of the Proverbs address the sluggard, right? Go to the ant, O sluggard. You know, quit being a sluggard. And uh, the issue is there. Work is a good thing. God has designed us to work. God Himself is a worker and we are in God's image. And so uh, all of these principles of Scripture I think we're very, we're very clear on. Even, uh, even a believer out of fellowship can still identify with secular principles, the laws of divine establishment. So when you think about Ecclesiastes and you think about Solomon, who uh, the bulk of Ecclesiastes is an expression of a carnal mind. The bulk of, of Ecclesiastes is Solomon in darkness with all of his wisdom perverted saying, what's the point? And uh, despairing of because he's, his eyes aren't on the Lord. And, and I, I love the fact, maybe... I don't know. Maybe after Proverbs is over, um, ten years from now, we'll we'll do an Ecclesiastes study. You know, um, we'll see. It won't be ten years from now. We're <laughs> five years from now. Well, let's say six years from now. But Ecclesiastes is human viewpoint accurately recorded by God the Holy Spirit for the canon of Scripture. That's why it's in our Bibles. The Holy Spirit is conveying how a believer, even the wisest believer in the world, how a believer will have their thinking perverted when they get their eyes off the Lord. When you're walking in darkness, your, your, your doctrine gets perverted. Anyway, Ecclesiastes 2.24, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. And so the first part of that verse, that's human viewpoint. And yet when you can stop to think about it, okay, God designed us for this. So I guess there's, there's also a spiritual point as well as a, a biological point. Nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. Is that true? There's got to be something better than that. If that's all we're doing is just living and making money and eating and drinking. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? And this again, his carnal mind is trying to process doctrine and think back. Okay, you know, you can have the finest meal in the world, but if you don't acknowledge it's the grace of God that provided it for you, what have you done? That's why you have so many people that are earthly wealthy and spiritually miserable. They don't identify the grace of God that's provided for them. And they'll never be content, no matter how wealthy they get. But I'll tell you, there is something better than eating and drinking. <laughs> All right, Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. All right, so again, human viewpoint filters through that, but is the spiritual viewpoint we can glean from that as well? He's not wrong. He's not wrong that when you die, you can't produce anymore. <laughs> All right, so uh, however many sermons I get to preach between now and my physical death, uh, once I'm physically departed, I'm done preaching at Austin Bible Church. Okay, and so as a concept, if God has given you another day and here we are, all right, let's serve the Lord today. And let's serve the Lord today with all my heart, mind, love, and strength because that's how I'm commanded to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I mean, if it's worth doing, do it. 
do it as unto the Lord. Do it in grace. Do it, you know, um, do it, do, don't do it, don't do a half, half job. Careful. Sometimes I forget my army language doesn't, doesn't go well in church. Don't do a half-hearted job. Do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. But then he stops. He reflects a little bit more. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the warriors, neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. We have a hymn. Fanny Crosby wrote a hymn from this verse. For time and chance overtake them all. Oh, that's sad. (laughs) Fanny Crosby's hymn is better. (laughs) Okay? The Lord gives the victory. All right? The Lord gives the victory. Time and chance overtake them all. All right, let's get out of Ecclesiastes. How about uh, Romans 12, 11? Jumping into the middle of a sentence or the middle of a paragraph. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. I love this. Love has to be without hypocrisy. It's got to be biblical love. God's definition of agape. Don't follow Satan's perversion that you know love is love. No, it's not. You say love is love, but can you define agape for me? And unhypocritical agape. Let's start with that. And uh, in the process of doing that, I'm going to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And that thing you're calling love is evil. I'm not going to cling to that. I'm going to abhor that. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's how a local church functions. We all have Philadelphia one to another. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. If you're not working, how are you doing any of this? How are you contributing to the needs of the saints? How are you providing? How are you serving the Lord? How are you practicing hospitality? All the things that are there. Uh, Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. All right, so you know whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a ditch digger, whatever you're doing, be the best doctor, lawyer, ditch digger, whatever you're doing. Okay, There's, it's it's honest work. It's it's you're you're putting in the labor. They're paying you. That's that's uh, that's a blessing. Okay. First Thessalonians four eleven. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I love that. It almost seems contradictory. It's almost like an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? Like military intelligence. It's just two things that seem to be contradictory. Okay? Um, jumbo shrimp. Okay? Just wait a minute. How, how does that work? Okay? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Usually we don't associate quiet people with ambitious people. Right? And, but this is what it's saying. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Attend to your own business. Okay? Work with your own hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. We talked about propriety in the Philemon class this week. Paul said he had enough confidence to order you to do that which is proper. We want to behave properly. 
And, and this means that we're, t- we're taking care of ourselves. We are working, we are blessing one another in the body of Christ. Providing in such a way. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. This is, uh, the, if man is not willing to work, he is not to eat either. Pretty blunt. Don't work, don't eat. We hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. And there was a phrase in 1 Thessalonians, attend to your own business. Don't be a busybody. Everybody else's business is not your business. Your business is your business, okay? Some people, I don't know how to have enough time to run everybody's business. I mean, man, there's 7 billion people on this planet. Start with yourself. But that's an undisciplined life. Such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion to eat their own bread. All right, so we have the principles there. Earnings should accumulate. So if you are working hard, if you are working, and if you are producing, um, you're not producing for yourself only. It starts with yourself, but then you're to be generous and ready to share. And you have brothers and sisters that have needs. Obviously, we want to honor the Lord from our wealth. We're not just, uh, you know, hoarding every, every nickel, every dime we make, uh, but we're generous to the Lord. We support the ministry of the Word of God. We, uh, I was looking at our financial policy the other day that <clears throat> this ministry is supported by grace-oriented believers in Jesus Christ who value the ministry of the Word of God as it is taught in this ministry. That, that is the appropriate giving for this for this, the support of this ministry. And if you're expecting to get something out of it, if you expect that your money is buying you something, that you're entitled to something for the money that you're giving, you're, get, you're giving with the wrong motivation. See, we're also in discussions with the people across the street too. They want to, they want to lease our parking lot and we're trying to, they're, they're approaching it from a business standpoint and we're trying to tell them about grace. So we'll see how that goes out. Pray about that. All right. So honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. First fruits. It's always the first fruits. It's always the first of your produce. It's always first. The prophet said, you know, bake mine first and you can have the second one. After she said, there's only enough oil left for one more cake. He said, okay, well then I get the first one. You can have the second one. It's always first fruits. The first fruits. The, the wave offering is, is the, the, the early. You don't even know what the rest of your harvest is going to be like. You don't even know how much, how productive the crop is going to be at the end of the harvest. You don't know how many more lambs that you is going to birth. But when that lamb births birth her first one, the first one is for the Lord. Okay? It's the principle of first fruits. And I think all too often we're very frequently uh, leftovers, right? And I've made what I've made. I've used what I've used. What do I have left that I, you know, what scraps are remaining I can throw, throw to the Lord? Okay? First fruits. From the first of your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. There should be an accumulation. There should be an abundance. But we're not lusting after that abundance in, in the desire to become rich. I think we can understand the difference. The abundance is so, yes, we, we, we have some savings. We're, we're prepared for a rainy day. We're, we're not foolish about contingencies and, and things like that. Nothing wrong with savings. There's also uh, an abundance is, is, is the thrill of being able to give because it's more blessed to give than to receive. The opportunity to be able to host and to share and to, to the, the blessings of that. 
Um, but the accumulation of wealth so that you can have a status, so that you can be listed on the Forbes top, top 50 billionaires or whatever it is that you've got as a goal as in terms of a status that, that, that you know, you've got to have the largest square footage of any, of any residence in, in Austin. Okay? What is that? Why? Okay. So that's uh, Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. And this is foundational. This is Proverbs 3. This is parental wisdom um, instructing my son to, uh, to learn these principles young. Ephesians 4, 8, uh, 4, 28. He who steals must steal no longer. But, and, and some people are thieves and don't call themselves thieves, but they are. Okay? Just because they're not decked out like the the hamburglar and, and you know creeping into windows and and you can steal, you can rob from your local church by not producing, not contributing to your local church. You can rob your family by not providing for your family. You can rob um, they're, they're, through negligence, through um, what we're talking about today. He who steals must steal no longer, but must rather labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Something to share with one who has need. And when we, we deal with this. We deal with this as a local assembly. We talk about this among the deacons and what is our role as a church and how do we, how do we extend grace and how do we um, supply benevolence and what is our, our blessing, not our duty, but our blessing. And I believe we have duties duties to, uh, to our widows that are widows indeed, for example. And those are duties, but they're also blessings. Duties to our brothers and sisters that are struggling. Those are duties, but they're also blessings as we come alongside as a flock. All right. At the same time, we ask ourselves, there's a difference between an event and a lifestyle. And we, we ask ourselves, now wait a minute, are we helping? Okay. We can help in an event, but we're not going to subsidize a, a carnal lifestyle. And that becomes, the, that becomes the, the question as we pray over it, as we seek the wisdom of God, as we come to our faith convictions, as we, as we knock, seek, and ask, and as the Father opens and, and shows and provides. Okay? All right. <laughs> so Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. Right? But that doesn't mean it's the same poor for 20 years, okay? The poor you will have with you always means, you know, 20 years from now, we're still going to have poor people. We're still going to have believers that are struggling. We're still going to have opportunities for sharing and blessing and so forth. It shouldn't be the same person that it was 20 years ago. What have they been doing in the meantime? What has been happening in the meantime in terms of a lifestyle that is not a biblical lifestyle? So those are the things that hopefully we address. And Proverbs addresses them very well. All right. Is any of this making sense this morning or am I just rambling? Okay. Or it might be both. All right. Wanting to be wealthy is a snare. And the clearest passage for this, my favorite passage for this is 1 Timothy chapter 6. The slide says verses 6 through 10. There's actually a context that leads up to that. Talking about false teachers and ministry manipulators. Um, there's a crowd out there that advocate a different doctrine. Look out for those guys. 
does not agree with sound words, okay? The words of our Lord Jesus Christ and doctrine conforming to godliness. And here's the problem. These different doctrine devils, these, these uh, snakes, they're conceited, they understand nothing, have a morbid interest in controversial questions, disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, okay? This is a problem. And if this is, uh, if this is a characteristic of a ministry, then there's an adjustment that needs to happen. Constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. They're working the ministry like it's a racket. They think that the ministry, that, that preaching the word is a way to get rich. Okay? <laughs> and uh, I worked with a guy, he couldn't believe the car I was driving. He, he just didn't understand me at all with the Travis County Sheriff's Office because his only encounters with, with preachers were the, the, the prosperity, the Pentecostal prosperity, you know, health and wealth crowd. And those preachers drove very nice cars because that was their status symbol. That was the indication that they were right with the Lord and things are great. And they're driving, you know, all this, I won't mention a brand because maybe you drive the same brand. I'm not going to pick on you if you drive a Mercedes, good for you. Not everyone can drive a, a purple um, Dodge Charger. I get it. But this co-worker couldn't figure out why. Because his, his preachers were always driving, they wouldn't drive anything but a Mercedes. They were top of the line, and I'm picking a Mercedes, but that was, the, that was the case in the discussion I had that night. And it turned out I was you know driving a thing, didn't even have air conditioning, uh, that I owned from Seattle, Washington. Right? Remember that? And then, uh, anyway... So we had a chance to talk. And I said, well, you know, not every church is like that church. And not every preacher is like those preachers you're familiar with. And I said, there's some preachers that work outside the church just to put food on the table to support their family because the church is so small, they're not paying a salary. Why do you think I'm in jail at three o'clock in the morning? Okay. And I'm going to get off work and go preach, put on a suit and go preach. So anyway, there is a crowd that believes Money is a way, godliness is a way to get rich. Godliness is a means of gain. Based on that then, Paul advances into a concept here. He says, you know, they're wrong, but in a way they're right. Godliness actually is a means of great gain. Godliness is a means of infinite gain, eternal gain. Especially when accompanied by contentment. We have brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. You know what? I slept under a roof last night instead of under a bridge. I'm, I'm pretty wealthy. Okay? And uh, I've got food to eat. Those who want to get rich, notice it's not want to provide for their family, not want to support the Word of God, not want to honor the Lord with my wealth. This is a desire to get rich. Why? Why do you want to get rich? That's different from wanting to have sufficient, have abundance, wanting to be a blessing, wanting to honor Jesus Christ, wanting to uh, be an imager of God as a producer, wanting to get rich. You know, a lot of times the, the, the motivation for wealth is so that you don't have to work. <laughs> if I'm wealthy enough, then the little people can do all the work for me. And I don't have to be productive anymore because I now have sufficient amount. 
and start running other people's lives. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare. Notice there's two, two issues. Temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. You know how much trouble you can get into? I mean, Solomon is the illustration. He had the money to do it. And I know I'm kind of trouble I'd get into if I had the money to do it, so thank God I don't. For the love of money, that's the, that's the thing. We don't want to love money. Money's a tool. Money is, money is a device. Money is an instrument by which we can glorify Jesus Christ. Money is, is something by which, as a medium of exchange, we can obtain the necessities of Beos life. But to love it? That's idolatry. The root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And this is what the prosperity test is, is harder than the adversity test. And you've got to be very cautious if, uh, if you do come into uh, an inheritance or a windfall of some sort. If, uh, if you find yourself in unfamiliar waters, just pray about it. Be cautious. Just let the Lord know. All right, Lord. At the same time, I'm thankful for this. I'm also asking for wisdom and guidance. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> I need to, uh, I don't want this to go to my head. I don't want to get all wild with this and crazy. And I've read so many stories of, of lottery winners that are bankrupt within five years because they get millions and then they spend more than millions. <laughs> and, uh, and they're just uh, ruined. Piercing themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. This, these are the things that we should be striving after, not wanting to get wealthy. You know, if you've got enough wealth stored up in heaven, then who needs the wealth on this earth anyway? We're just working for the, for the next life, and that's what it's about. All right, so willingness to work is a good thing. Earnings should accumulate. But wanting to be wealthy is a snare. The uncertainty of riches comes in large part to its very nature and propensity for the way it comes and goes. The uncertainty of riches comes in large part to its very nature. You know, it's like expecting a dog not to bark. Well, what do you expect? That's what dogs do, okay? Unless you really, really work with them and train them and, and uh, you know, over time you can um, adapt the dog less to its dog nature and more to your human expectations. That's the dominion mandate where you have sovereignty over the animal realm. And if we want to, uh, we want to discipline some of the dogness out of it, and discipline something into it that is of value to humanity, then praise God. That's what we do in our dominion mandate. But if we don't, then it's going to bark, it's going to pee, it's going to slobber, it's going to, it's going to chew, it's going to, it's going to, you know, it's going to have all of its dogness and all of its dog glory. Okay? The thing about riches, what does it do by its very nature? What is money? What is wealth? Okay, and money is not wealth, but when you study the difference between wealth and money and you study and, and you understand what is the nature of this uncertainty, well, what is the nature of value? And we talk about scarcity and we talk about supply and demand and we talk about other things, but when it all comes down to it, every component of it, and there's so many moving parts, all of it comes down to this aspect of uncertainty because um, 
We can't control it. We don't know about tomorrow or the future or next year or the year after. And, and something that may seem like a great investment today is useless a year from now because of unforeseen events. Our finite nature moving forward through the time stream doesn't know what's coming next. If we did, then we could have certainty in our riches. <laughs> I would have the best investments today and the best investments next year. And the best I would never have a losing bet on the, uh, on the stock market or what have you. But by its very nature, money is, is, uh, is, is, you spend it. That's what you do with it. You don't eat it. You spend it. You trade it for something you can eat. You trade it for something you can drive. You trade it for something you can wear. Okay? Something you can live in. Whatever the case may be. The, the money itself doesn't feed you or clothe you or provide shelter over your head or entertain you. The money supplies the things that you want. And so by its very nature, it's designed to come and go. <laughs> if, if all it does is just come and come and come and come and come and you never spend it, then you're violating the design for what it's there for. All right. By its nature, it comes and goes. It's designed to come and go. And it also has a propensity for the way that it comes and goes. And so uh, Jesus called it the uncertainty of riches. He also called it the deceitfulness of wealth. The uncertainty of riches and the deceitfulness of wealth. I think those are two phrases we want to pay attention to. So the one, this is the parable of the sower. There's seed that's sowed on the road, the seed that's sowed on the rocky ground, the thorny ground. <clears throat> the one in whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth the worry of the age, it's the ion, it's not the uh, cosmos. <clears throat> the worry of the age. And I think every age produces new worries in order to control people more and more. We're certainly living through an age right now where there's more and more worry of this present ion. <clears throat> it's affecting uh, governments and people and everything. But the worry of the, of the ion, the age, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. Just like thorns choke any kind of plant trying to draw it. Um, the deceitfulness of wealth is choking the word and it becomes unfruitful. The word of God is designed to be fruitful, but under these conditions, the deceitfulness of wealth is choking it out. Choking out the word of God. And then the uncertainty of wealth. Back to 1 Timothy 6. We were just there. I stopped too early. I stopped with verse 10. Advance forward to verses 17 through 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. So if this is the position God has placed you in, you need instruction. Because frankly, most of us can't handle it. Not to be conceited. There's lesson number one. <laughs> Rich people think they're better than poor people. Okay? And also poor people resent the rich people and think that somehow they've done something to them. They've rigged the system or they've ripped me off and now I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it back or whatever the case may be. And so the rich and poor are at odds with one another. So lesson number one, don't be conceited. Okay? You're not such a smarty pants that you can claim credit for all the right business decisions you made to get rich and whatever. It's all the grace of God. Don't be conceited. 
And don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Lesson number two, keep your hope fixed where it needs to be. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. You got your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Don't let the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the fruitfulness and get your eyes off the Lord. These are the encumbrances. You got to lay aside those encumbrances so you can be fixing your eyes on Jesus. Or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who's not uncertain. (laughs) God is very certain. He richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now I think all too often we read this verse and we stop with the word God. Fixing our hope on God. Okay, I get it. I'm not going to fix my hope on the uncertainty of riches. I'm not going to fix my hope on, you know, so I I do have plans. I do have long-term plans. I do have investments. I do have savings. I've got something going on. There's some kind of a plan. And all of that might blow up tomorrow. All right. God is still faithful. I keep my eyes fixed on the Lord and when my plan goes out the window, I just say, thank you, Lord. Let's, uh, I'm going to get on board your plan now. <laughs> okay? And, uh, and I don't think I was wrong. I know I'm not. I wasn't wrong for these other things. All right. Fix your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things, and then it says, to enjoy. So when He gives it to you, enjoy it. When he takes it away from you, keep on enjoying it. Okay? He richly supplies us all things to enjoy. Not to hoard, not to stockpile, not to get rich, but to enjoy. Richly supplies us all things to enjoy. So if he gives me a meal, I want to enjoy it. Thank you, Lord, for this food. I'm going to enjoy it. If he gives me a car, I'm going to enjoy it. If he gives me a congregation, I'm going to enjoy it. Okay? Everything he gives me, I'm going to enjoy. I'm going to recognize he's the source of it. He can take it away tomorrow if he wants to. But while he's allowed me to have it, I'm going to enjoy it. And part of my enjoyment might be sharing it with other folks. Hey, you want to, you know, you ever seen a purple car go 105 miles an hour? You know, you can enjoy it with me if you like. All right. Richly supplies us with all things to us. You don't have to feel bad about enjoying what God's given you. Enjoy it. And share that enjoyment with other people with the capacity, the grace capacity to enjoy it. You're not flaunting it. You're not, see, that's, that's what carnality does. You're not flaunting it and saying, aha, uh-huh, look at this. Don't you wish you had something like this? You know, you know your boat's half the size of my boat. Look at this. And, and whatever else you're doing, that's not enjoying it. He doesn't give you, he doesn't richly supply all things to flaunt it or to rub somebody else's nose in it. Okay? Oh, there's so much here. And the instruction continues. I'm just on verse 17. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. In that capacity, and I think the church age has greater capacity than ever because we have the, the, uh, the spiritual gift of giving that previous dispensations weren't given. Right? So when you think about the wealth of Abraham, the wealth of Job, you think about there were very wealthy people in the Bible. They didn't have the spiritual gift of giving and they weren't placed in a, in a local church like we are. So do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Because you know what that is? That's laying up treasures in heaven. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. 
So when you are doing good deeds, that is divine good production, filled with the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ, serving the saints, okay, you're, you know, going down and picking up a college kid and bringing him to church, okay? That's a good deed. That's a, you do that in fellowship for the glory of Jesus Christ, okay? As unto the Lord, not tooting your horn saying, look at me, I'm a great person, look at, no, it's as unto the Lord, okay? You're laying up treasures in heaven. It's a glorious privilege. Changing a stinky diaper in the nursery, laying up treasures in heaven, it's a good thing. An unbeliever can do it, but a believer can do it, filled with the Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ, thankful, saying, you know what? I get to serve the Lord, I get to watch these children freeing up their parents to go get doctrine. What a blessing that the parents can be in class, can be taking in Bible doctrine, they're growing, they're edifying, and, and I'm just taking care of their kids. What a blessing. So do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. See, this is your nest egg for eternity future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And how many wealthy people have left a huge estate to their, uh, to their children? They've left a huge estate to their children. You couldn't hear that, could you? But I had the dingling in my ears. All right. A huge estate to their children, and they've laid up nothing in heaven, Right? Jesus called that man a fool. He was tearing down his barns to build bigger barns. And this was the night that he died. He said, you fool, tonight your, your soul is required of you. Now who will own these barns that you're building? Right? And so this man dies and his ungrateful kids, you know, fight over whatever. And, and, uh, and what's he got? He has nothing to start his eternal life with. Nothing to start his, his uh, post-mortem existence He's a pauper in glory. Okay? He's got a resurrection body, he's got a robe of white, not a lot beyond that. All right. I want to have more for that waiting for me when I get there. More than just a resurrection body and a, and a robe of white. So, that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. This current life is not life indeed. We talk about widows indeed, life indeed. Okay? This life is not life indeed. Because this life is the, the one that's full of sin and full of uh, darkness and full of all the, all the things of this life. It's the next one. Okay? It's the next one. All right, words of the wise number eight. Words of the wise number eight, verses six through eight. We can get a preview of this. And uh, it's more delicacies details a different delicacy danger. So it's kind of, it, it's, it's not identical to verses 1 through 3, but you'll see, verses 6 through 8. Do not eat the bread. Let me get the verse up here, 6 through 8. So you can see it's similar because it's a food context. He uses the, the word delicacy like we did in verses 1 through 3 when you had a knife to your throat because you were eating with the, with the Lord. Um, but here's a different application. 
Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. In, in a sense, the rich guy was generous. I guess we can call him generous. He wanted something from you, but he was still a rich, wealthy guy. This guy is selfish. This guy is stingy. This is, this is Scrooge McDuck right here, right? This is the, the, um, the stingy man. Or desire his delicacies. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. That's true for everybody. Uh, he says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. All right? This is not the cheerful giver, okay? This is grudgingly or under compulsion. This is the guy, and yeah, he's buying you lunch, but he doesn't really want to. He's begrudging every minute of it. You will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments. That's always a, <laughs> that's never a good end to a lunch. Okay? That's when you know your date's not going well. <laughs> you know, you're trying to impress her and she always picks these fancy places with the big heavy doors. <laughs> you will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments. You know, what should be a, a, a blessing. Meals together are supposed to be a time of fellowship. They're supposed to be a time of intimacy. Uh, as Jesus was eating with his disciples, as John was reclining on his breast, uh, when Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, he wants to come in. He wants to dine with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. The, uh, beyond, the, beyond the calories that, that you swallow with your, you know, with your earthly body, the time that's spent together that's mutually edifying is, is, a, is a glory. Or at least it's supposed to be. Okay? And I think in verses 1 through 3, it's not because there's a different dynamic of what's happening there with the king that's invited you to dine with him. And likewise here with, with the stingy man. Um, this, is not a, this is not a sanctified meal either for different reasons. And, and because where he is in his darkness and you want to have that fellowship with him, you just can't. Right? And so you're just wasting your compliments and uh, even, the, even the calories you've consumed you might as well not have, might as well just puke them up for all the good this, this meal has been. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll pick up here next week and then we'll move on to Words of the Wise number 9 and 10. We'll see um, Words of the Wise number 9 is all by itself in verse 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. There's occasions where you just need to zip it. That fool doesn't need to hear it. Yes, you have truth. But this is an occasion where, like casting pearls before a swine, you just don't, don't need to voice it. He doesn't need to hear it. And then moving the ancient boundary, words of the wise number 10 and verses 10 and 11. That's a repeat from a principle we had earlier. All right, well, good stuff coming up. Like I say, we've got 12 Wednesdays remaining. I'm trying to kind of gauge it to see how far we get before we drop it for a year. And uh, I don't want to, I don't, I'm, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to rush through it and shortchange the doctrine. I'm not going to harm the sheep just for the sake of trying to get to a chapter break. Um, but I want to, I want to get to a decent break uh, because I know we're going to drop it for a year. And, uh, well, whenever we do pick it up in 2023, we're going to be rusty on our Proverbs and we'll have to get back into, back into the swing of things. So, 
be that as it may. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for this class. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. Thank you for the timeless wisdom that comes to us in the book of Proverbs. We thank you for principles that we glean, not doctrines, not promises, but the principles that we glean to make uh, the application in our life. Thank you for the, uh, the way in which you've, you've crafted this, for the way in which we can live it. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.